I'm just going to do this. All right. <clears throat> oh, man. So you're laughing, but as we get into the message, <laughs> it might actually start to make sense. Um, <clears throat> so, all right, we're going to give this a try. Uh, so I have the privilege of wrapping up our series in Ephesians this morning. Uh, and it's been a fun uh, series to, to go through. We've been here for a couple months. Uh, <clears throat> before we jump into the, the passage, which Paul begins with the words, finally. So after all almost six chapters of writing, he's getting ready to give us his, his last words. Um, before we jump in, I want to give us a quick recap of so where we come from, because I feel like sometimes when we get to the end of the book, we're just, we're just trying to do the last passage and be done. And sometimes we don't think about how it connects to everything that we've heard that's come before. And so... Uh, Let's remember, Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus and possibly other surrounding areas, and he wants to encourage them to be positive positive examples of the way of Jesus in a culture that is not necessarily friendly to Christians, which is maybe something that we can relate to today. In the first chapter, or first half of the letter, uh, Paul wants to remind his readers of two important truths. Uh, The first one is that every single one of them has a brand new identity as chosen, forgiven, and adopted children of God. That's who they are now. And the second truth he wants them to know is something that Brett mentioned earlier, which is that uh, together the two groups that make up Paul's audience, which are uh, Jewish and Gentile believers, different cultural groups that uh, previously hated one another, now together have a new identity also. They are to be the people of God who show God's goodness to the rest of the world by being a light to the world. Um, so, so their identity has changed as well. And all those things happen uh, because of the work of Jesus at the cross. If you remember in chapter 1, uh, Paul or Tim walked us through all these instances of the phrase, in him or in Christ. And so all these uh, two new identities that the people of God are experiencing in Ephesus come because of the work of Jesus. In the second half of the book, uh, Paul talks about how these two identities should now form a foundation for living out a new way of life in our relationships with others. Uh, We're to live that life worthy of the calling to which they've been called, which Brett again referenced earlier. And they're to do that by imitating God and by walking in the way of love with the people in all the different spheres of relationship. So with that as our backdrop, Paul's now going to share his final words, and generally someone's last words are important and something that we should pay attention to, and so that makes sense. Um, The main message I think that Paul wants his readers to hear, uh, and this is where it might tie into my microphone issues this morning, is that uh, as they seek to live out their new identities in Christ, both individually and as a community of believers, they're going to experience opposition. Uh, and there's a specific opposition that they're going to experience that he's going to let us know about. Um, if you've heard me speak before, you know that I love stories, right? Uh, and if you read uh, stories or if you watch stories on TV or in movies, you know that often one of the main problems that the main characters have in any story is trying to figure out who the bad guy is, right? Who is their opposition? And in really creative stories, uh, often the author will use all sorts of things like misdirection uh, to hide the true identity of the, the bad guy in the story 
until as far into the story as possible so that it seems like it's a surprise. And one of the classic instances of this, and this won't surprise any of you who've heard me speak before either, uh, is Emperor Palpatine in the Star Wars movie series, right? So as audience members, we know that Senator Palpatine is evil and he's orchestrating this huge complex plot that will one day give him the opportunity to destroy the Jedi uh, Order. But the main characters in the movie, they don't know this. And as an audience member, it's actually really frustrating at times to watch them fighting everybody except for the actual bad guy, okay? Unfortunately, for our heroes in that story, they don't figure out who the real bad guy is until it's too late, and most of the Jedi are killed. So, oh, I see a... I'm getting a... Consistency. It's all right. We tried it. We're going to go back to holding. <laughs> so So the deal is that Paul doesn't want his readers to make the same mistake. Uh, He doesn't want them to be unaware of who their opposition is until it's too late. He wants them to know up front who it is that's opposing him. Uh, So let's let's jump into our passage here. Uh, And and Paul's going to let us know pretty early on who who the opponent is that our readers in Ephesus and eventually us uh, are facing. Paul kind of tends to jump around in this passage a bunch, and he repeats himself a few times, so I'm not going to walk straight through it, but I promise we'll get to all the parts. Uh, In verse 12, Paul writes this. He says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And towards the end of verse 11, uh, he tells us that we're to stand against the devil's schemes. So the opponent that Paul says that the Ephesians and us uh, have is the devil himself and the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Now, uh, we don't talk about the devil or spiritual forces of evil all that often, uh, probably for a variety of reasons, and maybe we should more often. But here's the thing. Both Old and New Testament authors uh, talk about the devil and evil spiritual beings. Uh, and Jesus himself taught about them, and he spent a good chunk of his healing ministry casting out evil spirits from people. And so the worldview that the Bible presents includes the existence of a spiritual realm inhabited by supernatural spiritual beings that we as humans, because of our own souls or spirits, have a limited connection with. Okay, And if that sounds odd, uh, it shouldn't. Because uh, bear with me here for a second. If, if we believe that God exists, who himself is a supernatural, spiritual being, then logically, we at least need to be open to the idea that there are other supernatural, spiritual beings, even evil ones. And that's who Paul says is there, there are the Ephesians' opposition, and it's our opposition as we seek to live out the calling that we've been given as children of God and as the people of God. 
uh, earlier in Ephesians, because this is a tension uh, for me. So as I introduce this idea this morning, uh, one of the tensions for me is that I don't want to send people off into a, uh, a direction of becoming preoccupied with the fact that there's uh, spiritual forces of evil that, that oppose us, um, but I do want us to be aware of them. And earlier in Ephesians in chapter 2, uh, Paul talks about three different influences that are on all of us. In verses 1 through 3, uh, he talks about the ways of the world, the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is another way of saying the devil, uh, and the cravings of flesh of our flesh, or another way to say that is the desires of our sinful nature. Uh, often these three are together are referred to as the world, the flesh, and the devil. And I bring this up just to give a little perspective. Um, the devil is one of the things that oppose us as we try to, to live out our calling as God's children, but it's not the only thing that we struggle against. Uh, the philosophies of the world, uh, even our own sinful nature, are things that, that we struggle against. But the point here that I don't want to miss us to miss on the other end of this is to ignore the work of the evil one in our lives. I want us to be aware that the devil really is opposed to us living out uh, our calling as his children and as the people of God. And he doesn't want that to happen because when we do that, it shows the world that God is good and right and true, and the evil one is not. And he does not want God to get that kind of good publicity. So hopefully that gives some, some balance or perspective here. Um, so that's who our enemy is, and, and knowing who our enemy is is important because it helps us develop, I think, a healthy strategy for resisting him, which is what Paul talks about uh, next in the, in the passage. And he does so in the form of three different commands. The first one is found in verse 10. Uh, and that's where Paul writes, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Now, what's interesting about this first command is that in the original uh, Greek language, the language that the New Testament was written in, uh, this command exists in what we call the passive voice, which means that the action uh, happens to the subject, not from the subject. So maybe a better way to translate this uh, would be constantly allow yourself to be strengthened by the Lord. It's an active thing that we participate in, but it's something that needs to happen to us. And notice as well that the strength that uh, Paul is asking his readers to employ is not their own strength, but it's the strength of God. Paul is convinced is is that if we are going to have success in resisting the devil's work in our lives, it's going to take God's strength to make that happen. It's not something that we can do on our own. All right, so that's the first command. The second command that he gives us in our strategy is found in verse 11, and it's repeated in verse 13, uh, and it's this. Put on the full armor of God. Now, that language might sound like a little bit out of left field, but what's happening here is Paul's introducing a word picture that he's going to use to describe uh, the different components of our identity as children of God. And it's a word picture that would have made a ton of sense to his original readers. Uh, It's the picture of the armor that a Roman soldier would wear. Uh, The world and the lands that Paul lived and traveled in and ministered in, and and the world that Jesus lived and ministered in, uh, was occupied by the Roman Empire. And so in every city of the empire, you would see soldiers with the exact same set of armor on. And so they would have recognized this immediately. Uh, If Paul had written this today, he might have talked about... uh, the gear that a a football player would wear because that would make sense to us. But this made total sense to his readers. Um, And he breaks it up into six different pieces. And I think 
I think at some point we're going to have a picture up here, uh, of sort of what the armor would look like. But Paul talks about these six different elements of the armor of God that represent uh, elements of our identity in Christ. And the first one is the belt of truth, uh, which holds all the other pieces of armor together, and it holds the sword that the soldier carries. Most commentators believe uh, that there are two ways to look at the idea of truth here. One is uh, the truth of who Jesus is as the resurrected Messiah and who we are as his children uh, spiritually. The second way uh, to look at truth here is what the Bible calls truth in the inward being, or what we would call integrity. Uh, Integrity is living uh, truthfully in every area of your life. So whether you're at home by yourself, or whether you're at work, or whether you're with with your friends, uh, people always experience the same person. We're the same person everywhere we go. I think the idea here is that if we're grounded in the truth of who Jesus is and who we are as God's children, and as we live consistently among others, then we have put on the belt of truth, and we've begun to to push back uh, the lies of the evil one. And lying is one of the main strategies that I think the devil employs to to trip us up. Uh, The second piece of armor that Paul looks at is the breastplate of righteousness. And the Roman breastplate... Uh, not only covered the front of the soldier, but the, the back also. And it was designed to protect the heart, which is an important organ, obviously. Uh, again, the idea of righteousness here, uh, there's two different ways to look at it. One is uh, the right standing that we have before God because of our trust in Jesus Christ. Um, knowing that we are loved and forgiven uh, and adopted children is an incredibly safe place to live from in terms of our identity in Christ. The other way to see righteousness here uh, is the practical uh, living out uh, towards others in in a right way. Uh, So again, I think the idea here is maybe a a combination of these two. Uh, Paul is saying that as as we're grounded in our right standing with God, uh, then we're able to live rightly before others and in that way take on the breastplate of righteousness. All right, the third uh, piece of armor is the sandals of the gospel of peace. And different translations uh, use a different way to talk about the footwear. But uh, the Roman soldier wore a pair of sandals that are all strappy, uh, which is I think was in fashion a couple years ago again. And they have metal spikes on the bottom that prevent the soldier from uh, slipping in, in battle. They give him good footing. And that's kind of the image that Paul's wanting to go with here. Uh, there's a couple ways, again, to look at the gospel of peace. Uh, One is to look at it in terms of the peace that we have with God because of faith in Christ, which, again, uh, is a wonderful place to live from. Uh, That's the message that we received, is that we can have peace with God through Jesus. The other way to look at at it is the peace with God that we offer others when we invite them to follow Christ. It's the message that we share. Uh, And so, again, there's this combination of uh, living from our own place of having peace with God and offering the peace of God to others. And that's how we put on the sandals of the gospel of peace. All right, the fourth piece of armor here is the shield of faith. And I don't know if they'll be able to get the picture up, but the Roman shield was a huge piece of machinery. Um, It was probably close to four feet high, and it was a couple layers of wood, but the outer layer of Uh, the shield was covered in leather. And before battle, they would soak the leather uh, in water, specifically for the purpose that Paul talks about. He says, uh, the shield of faith can help extinguish 
all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And so uh, in warfare during that time, the opposing armies would shoot flaming arrows at the soldiers. And because the Roman soldier's shield, uh, that leather layer was coated in water, it would, it would put the flames out before the wooden shield would catch fire. And then, of course, the soldier would have to drop it, and then he would be defenseless, right? Uh, so it's an important piece here. I think the, the flaming arrows that Paul is talking about that we experience in terms of the evil one uh, opposing us in our, our movement towards living out our identities in Christ, uh, it could be physical uh, harm to Christians because that was common in his day. But I think mostly what he's talking about is the constant temptation uh, to things like uh, anger and bitterness and mistrust uh, and, and discord that work to destroy the unity of the body of Christ. Um, and I think this is important uh, because I think, that's, again, that's one of the ways that the evil one wants to, to ruin our witness in the world is to mess with our relationships with one another. And so uh, we need to be able to defend ourselves against his attacks in that area. The faith that uh, Paul's talking about here is a deep dependence on the God who loves us and who sent Jesus for us. Uh, so again here, the, the whole picture is that as we trust in, as we actually trust in the God who loves us and sent Jesus for us, uh, we're able to stop the evil one's attempts at causing relational discord among the people of God. All right, the fifth piece of armor uh, that he talks about is called the, the helmet of salvation. And the idea here is that we're supposed to cover our minds in the same way that a helmet covers the head. Uh, with the sureness of our salvation. The Bible teaches that uh, anyone who's begun a relationship with Christ is safe and secure in that relationship. Uh, and I think as Paul is talking about uh, the believer's salvation here, he's looking uh, backwards at the past reality of their being saved from the penalty of sin because of their trust in Christ, but he's also looking forward to the promise of their complete salvation someday in eternity when we will get to live in sinless uh, relationship to both God and one another. Uh, our salvation will be complete. And so this is whole picture of salvation that Paul is saying that we need to clothe our minds in and constantly, constantly be reminded of uh, so we can defend ourselves against the attacks of the evil one. All right, the last piece of armor that Paul talks about is the sword of the Spirit, which he says is the word of God. Uh, most commentators, when he talk about it being the word of God here, uh, agree that it includes not only the Old Testament writings that uh, Jesus and Paul would have had, but it also refers to the teachings of Jesus and the teachings of the apostles that were later written down in or what we call the New Testament. Uh, so together, they make up the word of God. And one thing that you'll notice here about uh, the sword that's different from the other pieces of the set of armor is that it's the only piece that can be used for offense. All, right? all the other pieces are sort of defensive in nature, but the sword uh, can be used for offense. And I think the image that Paul wants to paint for his readers here is that they can actually fight back against the attacks of the evil one with the word of God. And my guess is he has in mind here the picture of Jesus uh, resisting the temptations of the evil one uh, in Luke 4 uh, when the evil one came to tempt Jesus uh, he spoke half-truths and lies to Jesus, and Jesus' response in each case was to go back to the scriptures and use the word of God to fight off the lies of the evil one. And so I think that's the picture uh, 
that Paul is painting for his readers here is that we can use the word of God in a powerful way to combat the lies of the evil one as he comes at us and attacks us. All right, so that is the armor of God, and that, that sort of wraps up the second command that God gave us, or that Paul gives us, which is to put on the armor of God. Uh, the third command that he gives us is, uh, is to stand firm. And he, he says the reason we're supposed to put on the armor of God is so that, in verse 11, we can take our stand against the devil's schemes. Uh, the word stand is used three more times here in the passage. Uh, in verse 13, we're told to take our, uh, stand our ground. And later, we're also told to stand. And then in verse 14, we're commanded to stand firm. Uh, and in keeping with the whole military nature of the word picture that Paul's creating here, uh, stand is conveniently a military term, and it means to hold a position, uh, to not give up ground. Uh, and the idea here, from Paul's perspective, I think, is that the evil one or the devil wants to undo any progress that we've made, whether it's in our own relationship with Christ or in our work to, to preserve the unity of the body of Christ. He wants to undo that. And Paul is saying, don't let the devil move you backwards. Don't allow him to cause you to give up the ground or the progress that you've been made. Uh, and part of the way that we do that uh, is what he, he gets to in one of the last paragraphs here. Uh, part, of, part of taking our stand involves, one, being alert uh, to the schemes of the evil one. We should be aware of his work. Uh, and we should also be in prayer regularly about everything and for everyone around us. And as we do those things, we're able to take our stand uh, and resist the evil one's work in our lives. All right, so that's the strategy that Paul gives us for resisting the work of the evil one. Uh, and so let me recap real quick. Uh, Paul's told us that we have opposition from the devil uh, as we seek to live out our calling as God's children and as the people of God in the world. Um, but he's also given us a strategy that we can use for resisting the devil, uh, which includes being strong in the Lord, uh, standing firm against his work by prayerfully reminding ourselves of who we are uh, as followers of God, which is putting on the armor of God. So the question at this point is, what does that look like in everyday life? Because that sounds like something uh, image-wise that's from a long time ago. And so let me make some suggestions uh, for us. First, I think it'd be great for us uh, to be more aware uh, actively of the reality that, that we are opposed in our efforts to grow in our walk with Christ and to live well in our relationships with one another uh, as a community of believers. Uh, I know... Uh, just personally, when things are going wrong, uh, like the microphone, or uh, when things are just difficult in life in general, the first thing that I go to is hardly ever that the evil one is at work in my life. And, and some of that makes sense. Uh, as we saw earlier, there are other things like uh, the world's system of values that are opposed to the values of the kingdom of God and our own sinful nature. We, those, those are things that oppose us that we struggle against. But I think often it would be more helpful for me if earlier on in my process I were to consider the idea that there's an evil one who's opposed to my success in my walk with God and my relationship with others. And so my guess is if that's something that I need to grow in, then there's a good chance that most of us need to grow in our awareness of that as well. Uh, the second thing I think that is helpful for us is we need to make an effort to be more patient 
uh, and kind with those that we find ourselves in relational conflict with. Uh, I think I mentioned this earlier, but uh, I don't think it's any accident that this this passage on uh, our opposition from the evil one comes at the end of two and a half chapters on how to walk in the way of love in all our spheres of relationships. Uh, I think the evil one wants to uh, sabotage the relationships we have because he knows that if he does so, then our witness to the world is going to be completely uh, invalidated. No one's going to buy it that God uh, can change lives if we let the evil one ruin our relationships with one another. And so uh, so I think as we, when we find ourselves in conflict with one another, uh, we need to remember that the other person ultimately is not the bad guy. Uh, there is an enemy who really is the ultimate bad guy. And the other person's probably just doing the thing that they think is right and best in that moment. But ultimately, it's the evil one that wants to ruin our relationships with one another. And I think if we can remember that, it helps us to be more likely to listen and want to understand the other person when we're in conflict. Uh, and I think ultimately, that's what we want from the other person as well. So uh, being more patient with one another is going to be helpful. Uh, third, I think we need to actively remind ourselves of who we are uh, as children of God and as the people of God. Uh, our identity in Christ is really foundational for how we live uh, the rest of our lives. And so finding ways practically to remind ourselves of who we are in the midst of uh, the opposition that comes at us is really helpful. Uh, towards that end, uh, to help with that this week, uh, your Bible reading plan for the week uh, has everything to do with your identity in Christ. And uh, you can find that on our website if you go to the uh, Watch Live tab, you'll scroll down and you'll see uh, Sunday resources. And if you go to that page and scroll to the bottom, you'll find our weekly Bible reading plan. Uh, if you're using the, the Bible app uh, through our events uh, page, uh, I, there should be a hot link to that in the midst of your notes, and you can click on that and start the reading plan. But the point is that, that we want to do whatever we can to keep our identity of who we are as God's children and the people of God in front of us as we experience opposition. Uh, finally, and as I think back on this, this is probably worth spending a little bit more time on earlier, but we're trying to get through a lot this morning. Uh, we need to remember, as we experience opposition, that the God who loves us and who saved us and sent Jesus for us is infinitely way more powerful than the one who opposes us. Okay, I know often when we're in the middle of experiencing opposition, uh, it just seems like there's no, there's no way we're going to get through this. And I think that's part of the evil one scheme in our lives is to convince us that he's more powerful uh, than the one that's on our side. But that's just not true. Uh, the devil is ultimately a defeated foe. Uh, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again, he broke the power of the devil in people's lives forever. And he is... A, He's a defeated foe, and, and ultimately, all his work of trying to trip us up and ruin the work of God in the world, it's an exercise in futility uh, in the grand scheme of things. He's fighting a losing battle, and so when you find yourselves in the midst of opposition, uh, either in relationships with one another or just in your own life, uh, remember that the God who loves you and who sent Jesus for you is way more powerful than anything that opposes you, and God wants you to see victory. Uh, in your life. All right, so that is our wrap-up for the book of Ephesians. Uh, before I pray for us, I do want to uh, ask you just to take a minute. Uh, 
and grab your phones and uh, respond to the message today. Uh, you can text the word respond to the number that's on your screen. Uh, if you're watching us on our web platform, uh, which I think most of you are because I think Facebook never got working this morning, uh, there should be a link up in the top of the screen that says uh, communication card. You can click that and it'll give you an opportunity to respond to the message that you've heard this morning. And we would love to hear from you about how uh, you want to respond and how we can pray for you as a community of, of Jesus followers. So let, us, let me pray for us. Father, first of all, thank you uh, so much for the new identities that we have uh, in Christ as your children and as the people of God. Thank you that, that Jesus' work on the cross uh, not only uh, secured for us as individuals peace with you, but made it possible for us to live in peace with one another because of, because of Christ. And so, uh, Father, as we seek to live out uh, the calling that we have this week, as your children in the world, would you help us, one, uh, to be aware that, that we're going to be opposed, that the evil one does not want us to succeed in living out who you've called us to be. But, Father, more than that, uh, would you remind us of who we are uh, as your children in the world, and would you remind us that you are way more powerful than the one who opposes us? And I pray that that would give us confidence to uh, take risks in loving one another and seeking to live out who you've called us to be. We pray all those things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks.